great look. So let me tell you about Cinderella, or you can probably tell me about Cinderella. You know, she's you know, a neglected, you know, unfortunate, you know, oppressed young lady and, you know, uh, who's got nothing going for her, completely hopeless. And then she turns up to a ball, if I can remember the story correctly, and, and it just so happens that the prince falls in love with her and eventually they, they get together. And it's, it's a lovely story, isn't it, of, of a wonderful, wealthy, charming, handsome prince um, getting together with, with this neglected, unfortunate um, young lady who then has her entire life completely turned around. I guess, you know, that's a bit like Boaz and Ruth. Not quite, but there's some similarity. Look, Boaz is a man, Ruth chapter 2 verse 1, is a man of standing. Uh, and, and it doesn't just mean he's standing, it means he's a man of standing. We said it's much bigger. He's wealthy, he's powerful. You know, he's recognized, respected in the community. You know, he is the Prince Charming of Bethlehem, the most eligible bachelor there. He represents, we said, Jesus. And you can see some of the parallels, can't we? Jesus is the wealthiest, most powerful of all. In fact, the Bible speaks to him in sweet terms, and it's beautiful. He is the pearl of great price. It is something precious. Not just wealthy and powerful, but something precious. Something desirable. It's a wonderful thing. And when you look at Jesus, when you consider Jesus and the way he is, you can't help falling in love with him. Don't you find that when you read the Gospels and you see what... I mean, he's just beautiful. Really. You'll never meet a man who is so wonderful towards people an absolutely beautiful person and you know someone should inspire us to emulate so he represents Jesus the most beautiful wonderful incredible person and so Ruth represents a church and just like Cinderella she's the, the neglected the one who's who's poor who's needy in fact Ruth we says is a Moabites. Look, all my fa- uh, look. Although, look, sorry, Ruth three does say she's got some noble characteristics, but it doesn't change the fact that she's a Moabite. And we said last week, these are the most, as far as the Jews are concerned, the most detestable people on the planet, worse than Gentiles. These are the worst. And Jews weren't allowed to have anything to do with them. They weren't allowed in the community of the Lord. There's no way Boaz should have been marrying this woman. Okay? And yet it takes someone who's undesirable, the most undesirable person ethnically, if you like, and brings her into his home. And he pictures for us what the church is like. We are, and we said this, and it's not nice to think about this, but it's true. Look, let me ask you, when did Jesus die for us? What state were we? How ready were we? How prepared were we? Were we? How do we look when Jesus died for us? We were. There's a verse there. Absolutely, Lorraine. Look, God demonstrated his love for us in that whilst we were dirty, filthy dregs. It's at that moment, and this is a wonder of it. He didn't die for us when we were good-looking, attractive, when we were cleaned up, when some potential was on earth. 
No, he died for us when we were in the slums, when we were in that condition, when we weren't desirable, when we weren't of value. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And we see how one-sided this relationship with Jesus is. And I think it's important for us to always remember that. You know, we should never get too big for our boots. You know, we're not doing Jesus a favour by being in relationship with him. You know, you know, we haven't done him a favour by turning up this morning. Sometimes, you know, we can feel like we've done God or church a favour. We're here. No, it's a very one-sided relationship. You know, all the favour, pardon? Absolutely. All the favour is on his side. It's him. It's he who's doing us a favour by being here. By giving us his presence. By filling us with his spirit. Can you see? We're the beneficiaries always. And when we do something like give to the shoebox appeal, we haven't done him a favour. Because if I need to remind you, where did you get the $10? And before we say, I earned it, and they say, whose body did you use to earn it? Okay? Who caused that heart to beat to enable you to work? And so you see, even what we've given to him, we haven't done Jesus a favour. We've just acknowledged it was never ours to begin with. That's what giving is. And I think it's important for us to remember that when we're giving, we're just acknowledging it's not ours anyway. And Jesus could withdraw it at any moment. And it's grace. And so it pictures for us this relationship. And so from that, this union with Jesus, I want to show us some of the blessings of that union. And this is what Ruth chapter 4 does for us beautifully. Uh, Main heading is, our union with Jesus brings the highest blessings. And then we're going to try and get three sub-points, if I can manage it. Uh, from this. Our union with Jesus brings the highest blessings. And the first of our sub-points, Jesus abundantly provides for his bride for all eternity. Jesus abundantly provides for his bride for all eternity. Look, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. It's beautiful. After all this, after his word to her, he actually takes her to be his. So I, remember, I mentioned Matt Damon last week and Lucina and how he met her in a bar um, and they connected, you know, found his soulmate and married a couple of years later uh, and have had three children and as well as her child from a previous marriage. So here's the thing. She was a waitress in a bar. We actually assume she was just getting by in life, you know, You'd imagine someone working in a bar just makes ends meet. Okay, look, if you work in a bar and you're wealthy, well, you know, you're excused. But generally speaking, you'd expect that. Matt Damon is worth, they say, $90 million. Okay? That's a lot of money. And so you can imagine, the minute that Lucina got engaged or as a part of Matt's life, and certainly when she married him, her financial situation was dramatically transformed. Whatever her condition before, it was transformed. We don't know if she continued working in the bar, but she certainly never needed to work again, did she? Because whatever Matt owned, voluntarily, willingly, he shared with her. 
She was effectively married to Matt Damon overnight, a multi-millionaire. A multi-millionaire. So verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. This powerful, wealthy landowner brought Ruth under his umbrella. It's up to now he was providing for her, uh, but, but she never could be certain he was going to continue. But now, as his wife, Ruth would never need to glean again. Ruth would never need to expose herself to danger. Ruth would never need to worry about where the next meal would come from. from. Ruth would never have to worry about having a companion to see her through life. Ruth would never have to worry about people judging her. About being the one that doesn't belong in that community. Because Boaz's marriage to her transformed all that and it ensured that she would have not just a year's supply of abundance, but an endless, this is a wealthy man. Ruth, overnight, came into a condition where she would never again worry about tomorrow's needs or today's. Look, you know the verse, Matthew 16. You ought to know that this is one of those verses every one of us ought to memorize. Matthew 16, 6 rather. Seek first his kingdom, Jesus is speaking to his own, and all these things will be given to us as well. What things? Anyone remember the passage? What things? Seek first the kingdom, put God first in your life, and all these things will be given to you as well. What things? His love. His love? Can anyone remember the passage? The necessities of life. What are necessities? Food. Clothing. Okay. Employment. Family. Peace of mind. What else? Uh, yeah. Money. Hey, look, somebody, somebody, somebody give him a tenner, would you? You know, sort him out. Did you say money? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Money. Hey, you need money. Health. Thank you. And for that one, health. George needs health. You need health. I need health. Look, even at a young age of 47, every time I kneel down, it's hard to get up again. <laughs> yeah, but, but I've got two kids on my back, right? You, know, you do that with two kids on your back. Okay, it's not so easy then. Yeah, so, so look, Jesus promises to provide. Matthew 7 says, and there is something that's attached to chapter 6, and we sometimes forget these, that they're connected. It's all a part of the same discourse, sermon. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We're in a relationship with Jesus that comes from our union with him that gives us access to how much... Look, here's the reality. How much wealth do you have access to, Lee, in Jesus? The cattle on a thousand hills. Seriously. We have access, if need be, if Jesus deemed it necessary... You and I have access to the millions and trillions of dollars of Jesus Christ. We have access to all the peace we need. We have access to all the welfare we need. We have access to every care being demolished. Jesus promises this to us and he tells us to ask. Let me ask you, let me, tell, let me encourage you rather. Spend this week asking. 
Really? Don't be embarrassed. Ask. What's the worst Jesus is going to do? He's going to say no or be silent. Ask. 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 Seek. 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 Knock. Louder. If the door doesn't open, knock it be louder. Look, Jesus can take your knocking, right? Right? And he can fix the door if you knock it down. Keep knocking. Keep asking. And I think that the sense of this, it is that it's an ongoing thing. Keep asking. Jesus has got your every need in hand. It's, it's his part of his promise. And not only does he provide everything we need now, the wonderful thing about Jesus is that he moves beyond now. Look into Revelation 7. And again, never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat upon them, nor the scorching heat. And the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. He's speaking about an eternity that's a measure of what we experience now, but amplified, deepened. Yes, thank you. Deepened. And so here's what it's meant to be, you see. It's meant to be that we're meant to be experiencing something of our heavenly existence now, something of God's provision, something of God's peace, something of a relationship, because it's a picture of eternity when we'll have it in abundance. Ruth pictures for us something of life now, but she's really picturing for us something of life then. Of an eternal, secure future in Jesus. So the first thing we learn from this uh, marriage union between Ruth and Boaz is that Christian, you won't lack anything that Jesus deems is good for your soul and welfare. It's a promise. And so if you feel you're lacking, ask, seek, knock. And even after all that, if that is not Jesus' purpose for us, then Jesus grants contentment in what we have, in where we are. So, hey, hook into him. Jesus abundantly provides for his bride right into eternity, for all eternity. But secondly, Jesus turns his bride's barrenness, that's an old-fashioned word, okay, into fruitfulness. Look, then he turned, then he went to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Ruth had been married, she hadn't got children. What is a likely reality of Ruth's situation? What would be an obvious reality of Ruth's situation? Yeah, she would be discarded. Because of, because of that, I was thinking also, Sid, why do you think she hasn't got kids? Mm. The most natural conclusion is that she's barren. Okay? And so, so even if she's not barren, she certainly doesn't have children. There's going to be some stigma. We're going to, I'm going to come to that just now. But, and one of the reasons I'm pretty convinced she was barren, why do you, why do you think I think she was barren? Have a look at the verse. Yeah. It, it, it's speaking. God is, I think he's giving us a clue in the text. Can you see it? Oh, thank you, Nikki. That's okay. You go back, Nikki. Thank you. And then forward. Because the text says, Jesus never... Oh, where are we? Okay, there we go. Thank you. Thank you. The Lord enabled her. 
and it does seem like that God is intervening. So quite possibly here, she's been enabled as a consequence of her marriage union to Boaz to have children. Obed, Obed was born to her. The Lord enabled her to conceive. And that's it, said, this is important. Look, in the West here, look, look, when your sons and daughters get married, it's most probable... I mean, when, when will most modern couples in Australia, beyond their marriage, have children? Whenever they want them. Five years, ten years, fifteen years, whenever they want them. You see, it's a lifestyle choice. People want to travel, save a deposit for a house, or whatever else it may be. But in the West here, we make a lifestyle choice about controlling, through whatever resources there are out there, birth. But if you were from the East, from the Middle East, if you were from Israel, and Sid's already hinted at it, how important were children to a marriage? Absolutely. If you were without a child in that culture, it was a stigma. You were frowned upon. You were judged. What were people thinking? What were people thinking? That you were... Yeah, you were cursed. Seriously. You were cursed. Right. We can imagine what people may have been thinking about Boba's marrying Ruth. You know. And yet, yet, what does Jesus do? He enables them to conceive. She who carried around a stigma. She who was thought to be a curse. She who looked like she may have been under some judgment is enabled through this marriage that Jesus blesses to produce offspring. And look at the offspring. Look at the, the blessing that this baby brings. Verse 14. The woman said to Naomi, said to Naomi, listen to this, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman's redeemer. May he become famous through Israel. He will, he will renew your life. Look, look how he's speaking. People are speaking about Naomi. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. And the woman, and the women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. This is Ruth's son biologically, but how is this son Obed perceived in the community? Yeah. It's Naomi's son. In fact, they say Naomi's son. So God has brought fruitfulness to this entire family, to Ruth, to Naomi, a son who would transform their existence. And one of the beautiful things here is how Ruth shares her child. It's beautiful, isn't it? Shares her with her mother-in-law. And in fact, legally, we said this last week, legally she is the son of Yeah, sort of. The son of Naomi. She is. Because she's Elimelech's son. And therefore Naomi's. And, and so this is a son that will be regarded on the list of honours as the son of Elimelech or Naomi. And so he will inherit the fortunes of his family. And again, here's the parallel for us. However fruitful we may have thought we were before Jesus, Jesus makes us fruitful. He makes our lives of some value. Here's what Matthew 19, 29 says. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times much 
when? Which, in what sphere of time? Now. Okay? And in eternity, eternal life. And here's the thing, we might not be aware of it, but you and I, friends, have been brought into a barrenness, however it may have looked, that may have been an empty life, and a fruitless life, a life without meaning, a life without purpose, a life without children, a life without family, or at least meaningful family. However our lives looked previously, Jesus has brought us into a fruitful condition, into a fruitful state. Look, you and I have been brought into a family. Look around you. If you look at the, you know, you might not be thinking there's much to look at here, but you know, just a bunch of people. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's laughable, isn't it, Lorraine? <laughs> sure, yeah. But look, you and I have been brought into, let me start immediately, into this family. When you come along to this church, whether through baptism or through visiting, or however long we've been a member here, this is a family. This is a family unit. As we look around the room, there's, there are mothers and fathers. Do you know that's how we're to relate to each other? With due respect. There's brothers and sisters. Absolutely, yeah. Have, you know, whether it's been two years or two months, we are a family unit. Our lives have purpose. Look, whatever purpose you may have served this week, I've already said this morning, you've been serving an incredible purpose for the kingdom. I mean, I don't know how much Stephanie does around the community normally, but she has a purpose in this church. Our lives take on a whole new dimension when we're brought into the family of God. And our family isn't just confined to this room and this, the group of people that are here, because those children that we've been supporting through the shoebox appeal? Whose children are they? Ours. That bloke? Whose brother is he? He's your brother. He might look look, look nothing like us. But he's our brother. You and I are responsible and a part of his family. And we may not meet him now. We may have the opportunity. We may not. One day we will. He's our family. Every single Christian in this world, every single believer, is a family network that we're connected to. Jesus has made us fruitful. Immensely. Every time there's a new born-again Christian somewhere in the world, okay, that's a new member of whose family? Your family. Seriously, we're, we're, we're brought into a growing, productive. Every time a missionary is successful on the mission, who's success? Who shares in that success? You do. You do. It's, we're brought into this incredible condition. Christian, you're a valued member of a global community with real purpose and real value. Remember that. You may be a small piece, a tiny weeny piece, but yet such a significant piece in that whole. And all because of Boaz. All because of what he does for us. He turns his bride, bride's barrenness into fruitfulness. And lastly, Jesus bestows upon his bride the highest honour. Listen to this. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez the, the, the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Abinadab. 
Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. This is a wonder of the Ruth. She was someone who wasn't to be brought into the community of God down to the tenth generation. Which I said, what did I say about the 10th generation and the number 10 in scripture? It's infinity. This was a woman who wasn't to be a part of the community of God down to the infinite generation. And yet she's grafted in to become in the family tree of Jesus Christ. It's incredible, isn't it? Remember Rahab? What was she? What was Rahab's Occupation in life. She's a prostitute. I mean, you know, was she to be included in the, in the community of Jesus? In Israel? In the community of Israel? No. You, what did you do with women like that? You stoned them. And yet, where is Rahab? Now, where does she figure? Where do you read Rahab the prostitute? name in the genealogy of Jesus Christ it's incredible isn't it I mean, who does this you, you can't make up stories like this if you were making up a story you wanted to include a Rahab in your story and you certainly wouldn't include a Ruth and yet she's grafted in to this family look if we turn to Matthew Matthew elaborates the genealogy Matthew chapter 1 a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ Okay, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Jira, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Ta- what did Tamar do? We won't go into that. Seriously. Okay, uh, where am I? I've now lost where I was. Looks your fault. No, I don't know where, where I am. Okay, this is where you wish you had some glasses. Okay, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Abinadab, Abinadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz whose mother was Rahab. There she is, the prostitute. Boaz the father of Obed, Obed whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. What a line! And here's the point. Here's the point. Is that our marriage union to Jesus. Do you know there's a roll call in heaven? I'm going to say, this thing's so frustrating. I can't move around. I feel like I'm in a cage. Okay. Right, okay, here we go. Look, there's a roll call in heaven just like this. A list of genealogy. The Lamb's Book of Life. Guess whose name is in that book? Whose name's in that book? Whose names are in that book? Yeah, a Graham. Celia. Because they're bound to be some others. Okay? Or a Pete Bartlett. Okay? Or a Gloria Oxley. Okay? Or a Nicholas... I've forgotten your surname. I don't even know your surname. <laughs> you can tell me later. Okay. But that's the point here. You see, 
We've gone from obscurity to having our names, not just in a genealogy, but on the greatest roll call there is. You see, at the end of time, okay, you want to be on that list. If there's a list you want your name on, it's the Lamb's Book of Life. And what Jesus does, you see, friends, he brings us in to a family line, into a roll call, into a community that, that can't be bettered. Let me tell you quickly, I think my time is going. There's a guy in the US of A, in Maryland, who's an ordinary guy, just an absolutely ordinary guy, that had the DNA test for some reason, and they discovered through his DNA test and his journey through Africa, that he was actually royalty of a tribe in Africa. He went from, from oblivion to, to infamy, not infamy, to be famous overnight. You are on a list of greatest honour through Jesus. Whatever your background, whatever trade you were involved in, drugs or whatever else it may have been, look, you may have been a murderer, seriously. Jesus has brought you and I into fame, into recognition, into value, into prestige. On the last day, the only list, the only family tree, the only line anyone will care about is the Lamb's book of life. And if you love Jesus, your name is there. And one day, Christian, one day, your name will be read aloud. And as it's read, you'll appear before Jesus. He's forever. Revelation 19 tells us, and it's at that time, that this union we have with Jesus will materialize. This is what he says. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. That marriage is coming. It's going to happen. You will finally be united with Jesus. It's where it's all going. Hey, when you walk out of here today, into whatever lies ahead of you, would you remember what you heard? Would you please try and remember this? That you're united to Jesus. You have an abundance of all the provision that you need. Okay, He's taking care of every need that you have. Your name is included in the roll call of heaven. You are his and he's yours forever. Amen.